It lines up with Sodom and Gomorrah. It lines up with the seven uh, days, seven years of famine of Joseph. And it lines up with almost with as it was in the days of Noah. Yeah. And I'm going, wow, what does that mean? Yeah. So now I have to go back and I have to make sure that I've got this right. Because if I'm seeing this, I am about, I'm crapping my pants. Because <laughs> yeah. if I'm seeing this correctly, it's, the feathers are about to fly. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went, it blew into me. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 47. I interview Joseph Dumont. Joseph Dumont has done a lot of work on looking at Jubilees and matching up the Sabbaths, and through that, he's created a timeline and he's observed different patterns that played out in the time before the flood, the time of Lot, the time of Joseph, and he's applied that to our current time. And so, he's got uh, some very interesting conclusions. So, we're going to take a look at timelines. Uh, and Daniel's 70-week prophecy, as well as the 120-year prophecy from Genesis 6. So, with no further ado, let's get weird. Awesome. So, so thanks again. Uh, I'm excited. Let's start with just how you grew up and how you came to know Christ. Well, thank you for having me here first, Samuel, and I appreciate that. Um, I was born and raised Catholic. I married Catholic. I had four kids, uh, went to communion, got my uh communion name and did all that stuff um come from a family of of altar boys and priests and christian brothers christian sisters you know and that's with my family i was just going to be another catholic and uh, had no problems doing that and one day um well one day jehovah witnesses came to the door hmm. and they told me about the end of the world and all this stuff. And I was thinking, well, I've never heard this stuff before. Yeah. So for the first time, um, I opened up the Bible and started to read the book of Revelation. I'm not mm. going to read the whole Bible. Like, look how big this thing is. So I wanted <laughs> to read the just the book of Revelation, just get the ending, right? Yeah. And I was working out of town. I was staying with this uh, friend of mine, and his wife is staunch Catholic. Like, I mean... She knows all the Hail Marys and Our Fathers and all the other prayers. Like, I, Anyway, I asked her about the book of Revelation. And to my surprise, she said she'd never read it. Oh, wow. Huh. I said, but you're so holy and you're so, you know, you go to church every day. She said, no, I've never read it. I don't know what, I don't know what it means. So huh. I decided to read it just so I would know more than this really holy lady that I thought was holy. And I didn't understand any of it. I just knew somebody was getting a, a shellac in here, and I didn't know anything about who was who. So I put that away, and um, a little while later, a few months later, I was going to another job, and I was driving you know, four or five hours to the job site uh, after being home for the weekend. And I heard uh, Herbert W. Armstrong on the radio. Now, I didn't know who he was. I just needed somebody to keep me awake at 1130 at night as I drove up to the job site. And that's the only station I could get. And I'm listening to him. And uh, he's talking about the French 
ancestry. Now, my ancestry is French, and I was tracing my ancestry, but I hit a brick wall and I couldn't figure out who they were and where they come from after the before the 1600s. Mm. So I listened to him. He started talking about the French. I thought, I'll write away and see what the, he can tell me for my family tree. Yeah. Um, that was Sunday night. I didn't have a pen on me. It was dark. So Monday, I come out of the work site. And there he is on the radio again, different station. I thought, well, this was kind of, so I wrote in for that book Hmm. and that started the process. And then I got other books and I asked, or he challenged me about the Sabbath. And are you keeping the Sabbath? And I said, well, the Sabbath is Sunday. And he's well in his books. He said, no, it's Saturday. And in my mind, I said, there can't be a billion Catholics wrong about the Sabbath. There's no way. So that started me. I went to my priest. He said, all you had to do is love, have love, love, love. And mm-hmm. then he pointed me to a seminary. And I went to the seminary and I started, they, they invited me in and said, you can read anything in our library. And I started to read their books. Their books, talking about the Sabbath, said that the Sabbath was Saturday. And they said that the Pope changed it. And I thought, well, how can the Pope change it? Well, he has the authority to do so because he got the keys from Peter and all this stuff. And I thought, okay. Mm. And I sat in that for a while. Then I came back and I read some more. And I, I, I couldn't, this, I don't know why, but it just ate away at me. How yeah. can a billion Catholics be wrong? And if they're wrong about this, what else are they wrong about? Yeah. So after reading uh, for six months in the seminary, I decided, I, no, I got to read the, the Bible itself. I'm going to go straight to the horse and, and get the information from it. And I started, uh, I started with the New Testament, just read it. And I didn't see no place in there where Sunday was sanctioned. Yeah. I, I thought, okay, well, what's going on? So I started to read the Old Testament, thinking well, I missed something. And I read it. And I came away, I said, man, there's nothing in here to tell me to keep Sunday, but there's all kinds of stuff in here telling me to keep Saturday as the Sabbath in the Old Testament and in the New. And even the book of Revelation, that says uh, the last chapter or something about keeping the Sabbath. Uh, okay, why? Why? Anyway, that led me to start to attend with the Worldwide Church of God. And uh, two weeks into there, they started telling me about the holy days. And I said, what is this? I'm already going to get fired for keeping the Saturday Sabbath, because we work seven days a week on pipelines. Now you want me to take off other days during the week? There's no no way. There's no yeah. way. <laughs> but um, as I started to go, I started to learn these things and learn that it's not just that they're holy days. These holy days were prophetic, prophetic events that would happen in history or in the mm. future. Right. And... So I stayed with them. I went through all the trials of learning and getting almost getting fired for the Sabbath and, and all the miracles that happened for me to be able to keep my job and keep observing the Sabbath. And that was from 1980. Well, I started learning Herbert Armstrong in 81, started attending 82, got baptized in 83, and was there until 1994 when the... Um, they started going back. Herbert Armstrong died in 1986, and then they started going back to what was uh, like a Christian or Catholic theology. Mm. And I walked into the 
Feast of Tabernacles in London here, London, Ontario. And uh, they were giving communion. And I, I couldn't believe it. I just turned around and walked out. Um, so from then on, I went on my own for seven years. And just, you know, my wife's not a believer. So I got in my truck and I went and parked at a dead end road in the middle of the country where nobody would bother me. And I sat there on the sa Saturday studying only the Bible. I wouldn't use any church literature because they said that everything I'd learned at the Worldwide Church of God was wrong. I thought, well, what if they're right? This was all before computer days, right? So yeah, there was a time we didn't have computers, and just in case some of you didn't know that. Um, and I would sit there with my concordance and my Bible, and I would read and study subjects. And I would write them out, and I would prove what I came to understand. So I did that for seven years by mm -hmm. myself on the back road. Um, then 9-11 happens. And I, I've, I thought we were going to war. I thought this was the end of the world. We're going to war. Who in their crazy mind would attack the United States like that? Mm. I called up some friends who had went to start up a different church. When in 94, starting around 86, a whole bunch of other splinter groups started going off from the Worldwide Church of God. And I think there's over 800, maybe over 1,000 of them today. So my friends were going to United Church of God, so I asked them if I could come. And that Saturday after 9-11, I started attending there. Excuse me. But I told the pastor, if I see you doing something wrong, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to be quiet like I was in the Worldwide Church of God. So he said, that's fine. Um, so I started attending there. I was there for seven years. Then... I, I went to a conference in Lansing, Michigan. I'd heard, I got a computer during this time, and I'd heard that there was a meeting there. Some guy was saying that the calendar, the Hebrew calendar that we follow is wrong, and that we should be going by the crescent moon and the barley. Mm. And that was Michael Rood and Nehemiah Gordon. So I drove 10 hours to Lansing, Michigan, met them both, talked with them, listened to their explanation, came out of there just like shocked. I don't know everything. There's so much more to learn. Mm -hmm. So I came back, but I didn't know if they were right. And, you know, because of what happened at the in 94, I no longer trusted anyone telling me religious stuff. I had to prove everything. Yeah. So I'd also heard about Ron Wyatt, and I'd also heard about his discovery of Noah's Ark and the Ark of the Covenant and Mount Sinai. And I started to clue that stuff together. And I, it was on my dream, dream list to go and see Noah's Ark. Hmm. I started to talk about that at the church. And they started to, they were training me to be a deacon. And then they, they took me inside and said, what's going on? And from that point on, I was on my way out the door. But hmm. they brought someone in special. Um, to teach the congregation, because I talked to so many people about Noah's Ark, to show them that what I was saying was wrong. Well, that was mm. disappointing. So I went mm. and visited Noah's Ark in 2007 to prove whether or not it was real to myself. Right. I, had, I just had to know, is this Bible, is this Bible telling me the truth? 
you know, is it, if it is, then I should be able to find Noah's Ark. I should be able to determine it. Well, I went there. I came back from there, and then I started to do the geography, all the myths from every religion and faith around the world about Noah's Ark. They all have different little clues, and they all pointed to Noah's Ark being where it was in uh, eastern Turkey, <clears throat> at uh, not on Mount Ararat, but across from Mount Ararat, on Mount Judy. Once I proved that, I was pretty tickled pink about it, because now I knew right from the start, he's real. So back up a couple of years, in 2004, I went to see Michael Rudin and Nehemiah Gord, and I couldn't prove what they were saying to be true. Every scripture they used to prove that the crescent moon was the start of the month and the barley to start the year, other people were using those same scriptures to justify the Hebrew calendar, or what we know as the Hillel calendar. I didn't, I didn't know the answer. And then in 2005, Passover is coming up. I was going to keep Passover. Now, which one do I keep? Do I keep the Hillel calendar with the Church of God so nobody knows it? Or do I keep the Crescent Moon Barley one? Well, they're only going to be a day or two apart. Then I'll just sneak them in together. That's why I determined I'll do them together and I'll just see if I can figure it out. Well, then there comes the announcement that the barley is ripe early and we're 30 days ahead of the Churches of God. And I got mad. I wrote, wrote Nehemiah a very big hate mail and told him off because now my plan was ruined. I'm going to have to keep Passover 30 days before my church group, and they're going to figure out that I'm doing something. They're going to kick me out, and I'm going to lose all my friends, and all oh, these terrible things are going to happen. Mm. So I kept Passover according to the barley and crescent moon. I did not understand it at that time, but I did. That Passover day, someone gave me a, a teaching about the Jubilee cycles. And I'd always been asking my pastors, when's the Jubilee year? We're keeping the Sabbath. We're keeping the Holy Days. When's the Jubilee year? We're commanded to keep that, Leviticus 25. It wasn't big on my radar. It wasn't a big thing in my life. It was just a question at the back of my head, trying to understand and to learn. Yeah. Well, that Passover day, boom, here it is. This guy showed me 12 proofs. Okay. That I can prove that. I can prove that from my Bible. I can prove that from history. There's only, well, he only had 12. Then I found another one, the 13th one. So that's what I started to tell people about. I was so excited. We now know when the sabbatical years are. We now because we were told whenever you get baptized, you just count six years and then that next year be your, you, you let your garden rest. Right. Hmm. Or whenever you start to, or whenever you start attending or when it, everyone had different times as to when it was. Yeah. So I had figured out, this is when God said it was hmm. actually this other guy figured it out. I was now able, I was now, starting to learn now i had to prove what he said and i did that then i found the 13th one which was leviticus 25 2 that's a jubilee year this other guy only had one second kings 1929 so with second kings 1929 you can show every sabbatical and jubilee year throughout history you'll know when they are but what you don't know is where we are in that schedule right because he 
was not able to line up the uh, uh, the chronology of Genesis from Adam right. to uh, to the uh, Red Sea crossing. So I had some friends who were challenging me, asking me different questions. They were they're not challenging me as I'm fighting me. They were telling me as okay, if that's right, then what about this? And I go and look up whatever that was, and make notes and write an article about it and send it to them. And they'd send it back and. After a bit, I did the whole chronology from Adam until they um, went into the or across the Red Sea. There's some difficult spots in there, but I was able to figure it out. And if I couldn't figure it out, I prayed about it and he gave me the answer. So there's 2,500 years from the creation of Adam until they cross the, no, um, until they enter the promised land. 2,458 years to the Exodus. Okay. Mm. So I did this. Now the, the test was to connect the Jubilee year of Levit Leviticus 25 2 with the Jubilee year of 2 Kings 1929. Yeah. And I thought, well, that should be easy peasy, right? Just put them down there on a piece of paper and line them up. Well, it didn't work. I started to find other sabbatical years. And then um, many years later, I was given a whole bunch, 30, over 30 tombstones. Uh, they're called the tombstones of Zoar. And in these tombstones, they have the sabbatical, the, the, the people died. And they, they said in the third year of the sabbatical cycle, uh, so many years after the destruction of the temple. Mm. Well, okay, I know when that sabbatical year was when they died. So I got all these, got them all to line up. People look at them, they can't figure them out because they're only using the Hillel calendar. But the thing is, the Hillel calendar was only created in 358. These tombstones are uh, 300 and 400 AD. So the Hillel calendar is just in the process of being implemented. So some of them are using it and some of them aren't. So you have to understand that in order to get them all to work. And when you get them all to work, they all match each other using different calendars, but they all match the Jubilee cycles that we've already determined. Hmm. And now I got, today, I've got 89 sabbatical Jubilee year proofs. Wow. Starting from that original 12. The two Jubilees, there's only two in the entire, well, there's only two that we're told about. Yeah, inscription. Um, uh, Nehemiah, is uh, when he's reading the Torah, that is another one, but it's, you can't really see it until you know these other two, right? And then it sometimes, oh, that's what it is. That's when they're doing, that's when they read, because you're supposed to read the entire law every seven years. So when he did that, it was a 49th and a 50th year. Um, I think that's 489 BC. I'm, I'm not sure about the date, but we printed a chart and we put them all in, all the sabbatical jubilee years, all the ones that we know, and you can oops, you can get this chart on our website, or you can order the book from Amazon. Um, but they're all there now. I'm looking for more. I'm looking for more tombstones in Crimea. I'm looking for more tombstones in Rome. Uh, my problem is I don't speak Hebrew, so it's hard to decipher what they're saying, and it's hard to decipher when they're very faint and very hard to read. Mm. But I'm still looking. Yeah. So with that information, 
and and obeying and starting to keep the holy days according to the uh, crescent moon and the barley, a whole bunch of revelations began to happen. A whole bunch of things started to fall into place. A whole bunch of those things that you don't know about, those questions, scriptures that you can't figure out that just don't make sense, all of a sudden made plain sense. The um, the okay, so which no man can know the day or the hour. That was a scripture that I, I've read a thousand times. And, okay, well, no one knows when Jesus is coming back. And, okay, good with that. But I didn't realize that that was the proof scripture that proved which calendar you're to go by. Because if you go by a crescent moon to begin the month, you're looking for the crescent moon. You can't see it. Either it's too close to when the sun sets or it's cloudy and you can't see it. So you right. never know when that moon is going to be seen. This is where the two witnesses come in. Now, the two witnesses we talk about in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, they don't really talk about two witnesses. We have Moses and Aaron. We have Elijah and Elisha. But we don't really talk about them as two witnesses <clears throat> until we get to the New Testament then in Book of Revelation, actually. But we need two witnesses to cite the moon. Well, then I noticed that the Jews kept um, they kept Passover, they kept Pentecost or Shavuot, and they kept the Feast of Trumpets. But in the Feast of Trumpets, they kept it for two days. I said, well, it doesn't say to keep it for two days. It says to keep it for one day. Why do they keep it for two days? Well, they keep it for two days because they don't know when yeah. the first of the month is. Right. Well, the first of the month is the only day, it's the seventh month, it's the only day determined by the crescent moon. So because they couldn't determine it, being in the diaspora, and they have to get the, the message from headquarters, being in the diaspora, they would take it for two days just in case they weren't sure, right? They didn't got yeah. it wrong. To cover their bases. That's right. Now, if that's the proof as to which moon to go by, calculate or crescent, then, then that's very simple. On top of that, when you start looking at the postponement rules for the Hebrew calendar, now there's postponement rules that are created in the last thousand years. Before that, there's no record of them. There's nothing in the Talmud and there's nothing in the, uh, in the Torah or the Bible. So these postponement rules, if you read them, they are created so that the moon will not be seen in another part of the world before it's seen in Jerusalem. Mm. And I'm going, how come I never knew that? If that's what the, the postponement rules are for, to prevent the, the month starting because somebody in Western Europe or North America seen it before it was seen in Jerusalem, then we should be going by the crescent moon. Yeah. The postponement rules tell us that. No one knows the day or the hour proves that because that's the first day of the month all these other things started to make sense now so i started you know that first year i wasn't sure about it but when i proved that in 2005 then i knew which calendar to go by and it was no more doubts or anything but that first year 2005 i kept uh, both calendars so i kept the two passovers two pentecosts two Feasts of Trumpets, two Feasts of Tabernacles. 
that was awesome. I was able to do two Feast of Tabernacles that year. And that was my first year to go to Israel. Oh, cool. And that was my bucket list. I never thought I'd do that again. I've now done it 18 times. Wow. Uh, a number of those times were for free. I've conducted tours over there on, I don't know, maybe 16, 15 of those trips. Sweet. It is very sweet. I've seen so much and learned so much. It's been an awesome, awesome time. Wow. So with that information, I began to write in 2006. The uh, well, I the worldwide or the United Church of God was going to. They were getting fed up with me talking at the back of the church. All these things I was learning. I was so excited. I just wanted to tell people what I was learning. Yeah. You know, like, just, I just want to tell people. So, um, they they put me out. And I was so upset because I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't trying to convert anybody. I wasn't trying to do anything. I came back from meeting Nehemiah and, and Michael Rood, and I said, you know what? We might have to change the name from the United Church of God to the United Church of Yahweh. Because I didn't know God had a name up until that time. Yeah. But apparently he did. And now that's been refined from Yahweh. I now believe his name to be Jehovah. And... I, I'll use his name. Um, I'm not going to fight with people about his name. If you've got a different understanding or you want to use God or Jesus, I'm good with that. But this is my progression, and this is what I've learned. And uh, I'm quite excited about that. But they put me out in August. And that same week, I went to a friend, and I says, uh, I'm, I'm pissed off here. i got to get this stuff out. I want to tell somebody about this stuff. And he helped me put up a website and we were going to call it the Berean truth. Now I'm, I'm very well known for not being able to spell, but I couldn't figure out how to spell Berean. Is it one R or two R's? Is it EA or just E? E-A-R? I didn't know. didn't have a dictionary. And he said, well, why don't you just call it sighted moon? Cause you're always talking about the sighted moon, which I was, I didn't like sighted moon. It didn't sound right. And then I said it a half dozen times, and, but I was more frustrated because I couldn't spell Berean. And, uh, okay, let's call it Sighted Moon. Sightedmoon.com. And that's how it got started. Wow. Because um, I can't spell. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, I, we, we were doing that, and I started sending out newsletters. I was spamming um, – Spamming the Seventh-day Adventist groups and spamming uh, any group I could get that would listen to me because I didn't know how to work the Internet. Um, trying to get people to listen, going to different Bible studies, trying to talk about this stuff, trying to talk about the Jubilee year, showing what that is, explaining it over and over and over again. So I started putting it all down in newsletters, logically, chronologically, so that people are reading the newsletters can understand. Uh 2006, 2007, 2008, uh, 2008, 2009, a friend of mine, Stephen Spikerman, wrote me. I don't know how I got a hold of him, but he wrote me and said, you've got to put this into a book. This stuff is priceless. And, okay, I can't spell. We didn't have spell check or grammar Lee back then. And uh, I don't know how to write a book. He says, just take your newsletter, put them together, clean them up and put them in a book, publish them. And so I did. And in 2010, I put this all together and I needed the charts 
which I created um, in 2009 to go into the book so people can understand what I was talking about. Yeah. I did not think I was qualified to be a teacher. I've never been ordained. Uh, I've never had anyone lay hands on me to, because I, I thought you had to have someone lay hands on you to be in a certain office. And I carried that around with a long time. And that's Church of God teaching, which is wrong. If God or Jehovah's laid his spirit on you to, and to do something, you don't need any man to lay hands on you to go and do it. He just right. go and yeah. do it. Amen. So, but I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel qualified to teach each week on the newsletter. And I didn't feel qualified to write a book. But Stephen kept bugging me and told me to do it. So I wrote the uh, prophecies of Abraham. And what the prophecy of Abraham is about is it takes you and shows you because you know God says in Genesis that Abram was going to be uh, release his wife and Abram will pray for him, for he is a prophet. Um, but what did Abram prophesy? Like if they ask, when I ask people that, they say, well, he was going to kill his son, and that's a prophecy about the Messiah. And I, okay, what else? What else did he prophesy? Nobody can answer it. So when you look at the Jubilee cycles, and you look at Abram's life in that Jubilee cycle, <clears throat> you start to see a pattern. The Now, if, I don't know if you got the charts there, if you wanted to put any up, but if you show the yeah. chart... If you show the chart for um, when the flood was, the flood took place in the the flood took place in the fourth year of the sabbatical cycle. Okay, you got to go way down. Yeah. Know. Okay. And if you are you able to scroll there? Yeah. Well, it's just slow, but yeah, I'll get there. Uh, fourth. Okay, it's, it's in the blue blue section. I think it's, it's it's a huge PDF. It's just uh, lagging. Okay, now you've gone past. Go up. Go up. I'm sorry. I thought you meant fourth jubilee. Okay, what what year? Um, it'll be the 34 in the middle. So you're at 25. Go up another two slides. There you go. Okay, okay. so right there in the red, I got 1656. That's when the flood took place. Okay, so that's kind of interesting. Now, um, but we're talking about Abrams life if you go up to abram's cycle okay so now you gotta go up uh what two more pages there you go okay so that's abram's jubilee cycle right there and abram was uh left ur in 2023 after the creation of adam and he made the or jehovah made the covenant with him in 2027 that you have there and so these are all significant things. Uh, Ishmael is born in, in 2034. And Sodom and Gomorrah is in 2047 there in the purple. Okay, I'm looking at the right-hand side of the screen. Yeah, on all looking these. at my, yeah. my brain's over here. In, in, yep, that's okay. okay. We're just focused on the right-hand side because everyone starts counting from Adam. And that's how you do it. This is what you end up here with these numbers. Gotcha. What I found out was when I did some research that uh, Shem is the one that took Nimrod to court and took him to court in Egypt. And they were in court in Egypt for 10 years. That's the entire 10 years in purple there. And at the end of those 10 years, 
uh, Nimrod is executed, uh, quartered, and is parts of his body sent to the different uh, city-states at that time as a warning that if you continue to worship these false gods, this was going to happen to you. But that didn't make the front page news at the time. Abram wrote Genesis or recorded it and records in 2047 because uh, Isaac is born in 2048 when Abram was 100 years old. But the year before, Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. So that's 2047. So that's interesting. But I just did that. Um, it's not until you come back and read Luke. And Luke says, as it was in the days of Lot, and as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. Now, we all guess that that's, you know people are going to be partying, people are going to be bad, people are going to be you know sodomizing, they're going to be doing all these different things, and then the end is going to come. Well, the, what does that mean, though? Like it's just guessing. Yeah. When just look, for just for the the viewer, real quick, these are um, jubilee cycles, right? These are in forty nine year blocks separated yes. by Sabbaths, you know, seven year blocks. So we're counting counting up, I guess, on the right side. This is a Sabbath cycle, Sabbath cycle, Sabbath cycle. And of course, seven Sabbath cycles is is a jubilee. It took That's me a right. second to kind of figure that out the first time I looked at this, so I wanted to make that clear. Yeah. For the video. so on the purple there, those are jubilee years. Now the jubilee year is the fiftieth year, but it's also the first year of the next count. So right, if you right. see there, we have twenty twenty ten is the first year of that jubilee cycle, and twenty ten is also the jubilee year from the previous yeah. cycle. Right. So uh, some people differ about that. We use uh, we show them if you if you understand Pentecost. A Pentecost Sunday is the 50th day after uh, the wave sheaf day during the Days of Unleavened Bread. And it's always on the Sunday, which is always the 50th day. The 49th day is the Sabbath. And every seven years is like every seven days is always the Sabbath. It's not breakable. So there's not all of a sudden a magical eight-year period or eight-day period in there. Yeah. It's always seven. So... What I did with Luke was I said, well, let's just look at the Jubilee cycle during Abraham's time and the Jubilee cycle, because I knew when, when the trial took place from reading some of these ancient uh, texts that I was into um, and looking at, at uh, Noah's Ark, and I compared them. And if you do that, then the Jubilee cycle for Noah's Ark is again in the sixth sabbatical cycle. Okay, well, that's... What does that mean? Okay, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the last days. As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the last days. So I started to see, well, there's a, a connection here. There's a one-day difference or one-year difference, which is, what does that mean? Okay. And in, as far as the, the pattern that happened in Noah's day and then in Lot's day, there's yes. one difference between where those events happened um, in their Sabbath cycle? That's correct. Both happened in the sixth cycle, just a year apart. That's right. You're talking about the the flood and then the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. So if you if you want to scroll back to the the flood, you can see that, and then we're going to come back up here, and I'll show you something else up here in a minute. Sure. Just, just so your viewers can see it. There you go. Oops. Where's the go up? 
One more. Here we there go. you go. Right there. There it is. Yeah. So that's the flood. In the fourth year, Sodom and Gomorrah took place in the third year. Both of them took place in the sixth sabbatical cycle. Yeah, just a year apart. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So now go go up one more page. And right here in the middle um, is the timeline of Joseph's. This mm. is Joseph's seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Now, I didn't understand that because it didn't fit in a proper sabbatical cycle. It started halfway through one and ended halfway through another. And it just didn't make sense to me. So I dismissed it. Yeah. And then again, Stephen Spikerman called me up when I published the book and said, you need to look at this. Look at this. This is amazing. And I'm looking at it. And I didn't get it. I, sometimes I'm slow. Yeah. The seven years of plenty started in 2230 after the creation of Adam. And that's the green area. And it lasts for seven years. Then the seven years of famine started in, what's that, 2237. Mm -hmm. And they go to 2243. Now, that also lines up with the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Sure, yeah, same year. Yeah, okay. Within that cycle, yeah. Same pattern. Same pattern. Now, before I realized that, I did something else. I did an experiment. You know, I'm just, because the chart at the time in 2009, 2008, it was just, let's see what we got. I didn't know what I had. Yeah. So if you scroll up to our time cycle now, scroll all the way up to the beginning. Oops. Oh, there you, one more. There you go. So on the left-hand side, we're going to use the left-hand side right now because that's our modern uh, Gregorian calendar dates. Yeah. Um, I did an experiment. I said that the Feast of the Jubilee year has a lot of similarities in teaching as the uh, Feast of Pentecost. And it also has similarities with the eighth day. Yeah. So I just did an experiment. I made the Jubilee year 2045. That's the next Jubilee year. I said, I'm going to call that the eighth day. And then the eighth day is preceded by seven days of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Sukkot. So the seven days from 2044 to 2038 would represent the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. Tabernacles. Huh. Again, I'm just experimenting here. You're trying to take the... The 50 days of Pentecost and spread well, that over 50 years? No, no. We know that Jesus died on Passover. We know that Passover had a significant event there. We know that the law was given to the at Mount Sinai on the feast of uh on the feast of uh, Shavuot, Pentecost, and the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit was given on the feast of Pentecost. And right. um they left. They went through the Red Sea on the seventh day of unleavened bread, and the, the Passover itself, the first one, when, when the firstborn died, was also on the first day of Passover. So we have all these things telling us these holy days are significant. So then yeah. I was just saying, what about the fall holy days? How do they fit into the end of this age? At, you know, because I, I just knew we're at the end of the age, but I didn't know where we were in it. Hmm. Okay. So I'm just doing next. How do the fall holy days fit in here? Because I don't know. So I did this. Um, I've got the Feast of Tabernacles from the seven days of uh, seven years of 2038 to 2044 on our modern Gregorian calendar. 
And five days before that is 2033. That would be the Day of Atonement. And then 10 days before that, or 10 years, would be 2024. That would be the start of the Feast of Trumpets. So you've got you you got a, a day year pattern playing out yeah. for the fall feast is, is what you're doing. That's right. Gotcha. And you, okay. you're kind of working your way back from from Tabernacles. I, I'm just reverse engineering. I know the eighth day and the Jubilee and the Feast of Pentecost. They all have similar teachings. So that's where yeah. I came from. Okay. I, I'm right. just doing okay. I'm just doing an experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So. But once okay. I did the experiment, then I noticed that the Day of Atonement is in the third year of the sixth sabbatical cycle. It lines up with Sodom and Gomorrah. It lines up with the seven uh, days, seven years of famine of Joseph. And it lines up with almost with as it was in the days of Noah. Yeah. And I'm going, wow, what does that mean? Yeah. So now I have to go back and I have to make sure that I've got this right. Because if I'm seeing this, I am about, I'm crapping my pants. Because <laughs> yeah. if I'm seeing this correctly, it's, the feathers are about to fly. Yeah. Now, yeah. Again, th when I'm doing this, this is the year 2005 when I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm trying, I can't, you know, I'm Joe Dumont. I dig ditches for a living. I work pipelines. I was working seven days a week just a few years ago. I can't be the one seeing this. I haven't gone to any theological training. I haven't been taught by a seminary. I haven't, you know, I what I'm just ordinary, plain Joe Dumont. Who am I to see this? But yet I'm still seeing it. So I go back. It says in Genesis 6 3, 120 Shana. And it's not talking about Abram's lifetime being 120 years, because it's talking about Adam, mankind, 120 Shana. That's cycles of time. That's 120 Jubilee cycles. Okay, so the six days is 600, uh, six, um, six millennial days is six, sorry, six millennial days is 120 Jubilee cycles. Right. Jubilee cycle is 20, or a millennial day is 20 Jubilee cycles. That's 980 years. But we always thought it said a thousand, as it was, you know, a, a day to the Lord is as a thousand years. Right. Okay, but it is also like, it's like a thousand years. It's not exactly a thousand years. Okay. People will disagree and walk away from this teaching at that point. That's fine. Yeah. All you're, all you're doing is you're taking that. 120 year prophecy and you're saying these are 120 year jubilees and you you've already proven that these jubilees are 49 year cycles not 50 year cycles that's if right you did 50 you'd come to 6,000 you're using 49 you come out to a, a 5,880 yep using 49 5,880 which is what you have here on the right hand side yep. at the very uh very top in the left hand corner is 5,880. The Jubilee year is 5,881 years since the creation of Adam. So millennium, um, instead of 1,000 years, 980 years. The, how do you prove that, though? So, like, you know, it's great that I'm glad that you're getting it and understanding it, but how do you prove it? How do you prove that to the person that's watching this that doesn't believe? You have to go and have all uh, 89 sabbatical Jubilee year proofs lined out. So if you go back into around the 400s, and you don't have to do that, I've got every sabbatical jubilee year fact 
that I found up until that time was uh, like 89, I think I'm around 45. Um, no, this is on this calendar, which is a revised one. We put them all in here. So they're all in the newest calendar. Yeah. And you've got an older version there. So um, they're there. And those sabbatical and jubilee years all prove when they are. Having those two jubilee cycles, Leviticus 25.2, uh, 2 Kings 19.29, that lays them all out. So now I've got an Old Testament jubilee year, a New Testament <clears throat> jubilee year. You line them up so they fit. That gives you 120 jubilee cycles. I've got uh, 80, 88, no, 87 sabbatical years. You lay them out. They all match. There's no fudging, no trying to fit them in. They all match. And with yeah. that, you know that this calendar is right. Now, I've had a lot, of, a lot of doubtful Thomases come along, and I love them, trying to prove this wrong. Nobody can. Some people come along, they don't like it, they don't agree with it, it messes up their own theology, but they can't prove it wrong, but they get mad and go away. Yeah. So that's sad. We have to be willing to change when we see that we're wrong. And that's, it's called repenting. You know, okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to correct my, my way. I'm going to focus on doing what's right. So that's, again, that's their own problems. My problem is I got to get this message out. Because if 2033, okay, so 2033 represents the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement is the day that the that Satan is going to be locked away. So it's, it's described in Leviticus 16. And Leviticus 16 is also described in Revelation 20, I believe it is, where the angel comes right. down and grabs Satan by the scruff of the neck and takes him and locks him away for a thousand years, right? Right, yeah. That takes place at the end of the sixth millennium, and he's in that pit for the entirety of the seventh millennium until someone lets him out at the end of the seventh millennium to try everyone that's alive at that time again. Yeah. And then he's destroyed and thrown in the lake of fire. And then death and hell are thrown in the lake of fire with him. I believe that's Revelation 20. Yes, um, it is. Okay. So that's got to take place at some place, and it takes place in the Day of Atonement. And if that's if my understanding is correct, okay, then that fits. So I start telling people this in 2005. But more than this. I mean, let me, let me look at this. So, so where are you getting that uh, that Satan's locked on the Day of Atonement? Um, how do you come to that understanding? Um, you go to Revelation, or not Revelation? Well, Revelation, you know, Revelation twenty. But you go back to Leviticus sixteen. Yeah. And Leviticus sixteen talks about the two goats. The one goat is uh, one. You, you, the two goats. You can't tell them apart. You don't know the yeah. difference between the two goats. So, you know, we can't tell which one's God and which one's Satan. But the when the high priest reaches in his pocket and pulls out a lot the one lot fell for jehovah okay for god the other lot fell for the goat that's to be set free which is the azazel goat yeah so the azazel goat well we call it a scapegoat but that's a really a wrong understanding he's not the scapegoat he's not the innocent one that's found that's punished he's the guilty goat the yeah. Azazel goat represents Satan. He's taken, thrown off a cliff by a strong man. And when he's thrown off the cliff, they watch to see if uh, the ribbon that they would tie to his, his horn 
would turn white or, or red. If yeah. it turned white, it meant their sins were forgiven. If it turned red, uh, they weren't. And it never turned white from the time that Yeshua was killed until the temple was destroyed. Yeah. That's one of those things. But the other goat that's killed for a sin offering was Yehovah. Not Yeshua. It was Yehovah. Right. Okay, so now people got a hard time understanding that until you go to um, Isaiah 12. Why don't we just read it? Isaiah 12, verse 2. Isaiah 12, verse 2. So you see the Azazel goat when it's, you know, runs off the, the cliff. That's a picture of Satan being locked, being locked away in the pit. He's thrown yeah. into the pit. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Revelation 12, 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. Uh, he has also become my salvation. That's the English version. When you go to the Hebrew uh, translation or read it in Hebrew, it says, Behold, Yehovah is my Yeshua. And then for Yehovah is my strength and song. He has also become my Yeshua. So what that's telling us is that Yehovah didn't send somebody in his, his place he made the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. He paid the price himself on the tree. That blew me away when I saw that. Jehovah loves us so much that he gave his own life so that we could be joined with him if we repent. That is a stunning revelation. So again, Leviticus 16 is saying this lot represents Jehovah. This lot represents uh, the Azazel, and Jehovah is killed, sacrificed on the as a sin offering, and the Azazel is thrown into the pit with all yeah. the sins laid on it, the guilty goat. That's what this represents. So when Satan is taken and locked away in Revelation 20, that is the day it takes place on, the Day of Atonement. So if the yeah. Day of Atonement represents here, 2033, I wonder if that's what it is. So again, I'm speaking like I'm in 2005, mm -hmm. but 2005, there's more. The Leviticus 25 describes the Sabbath and Jubilee year. So I'm reading that, reading that, trying to understand it more and more. But Leviticus 26 is talking about the sabbatical years as well. Here's the blessings from uh, that you'll receive, verses 1 through to 13. These are the blessings you'll receive. Well, everyone's always going around, how come we're not getting those blessings? Well, you're not getting those blessings because you're a dumbass sinner. You're not obeying God. So why would he give you the blessings if you're not obeying them? So I said, well, if we're not obeying him, let's look at the curses he's going to give us. So the first curse, Leviticus 20, uh, 26, 14, is the curse of terror. I will send terror on you. So I started to think, well, if the first curse, and then, you know, it starts talking about seven, uh, seven times, and those seven times, it's like, uh, well, Daniel says times, time and a half time. Well, seven times would be seven years. Hmm. Okay. So I started to look at the first curse of seven years. And I said, well, the first curse of seven years goes from 2000 or 1996 to 2002. Now, this is 2005. I'm looking at this. Well, okay. We got the USS Cole being uh, attacked by terrorists. We got uh, the U.S. Embassy in, in Kenya and the U.S. Embassy in Tanzania being destroyed by terrorists. 
That was in 1998, USS Cole in 2000. And then we got 9-11 in 2001. And I'm thinking... I cannot be seeing this. Again, this is 2005. Well, the second curse is, um, I will, let me, I'm going to read them because this is actually important. Why, why is it that the curses are sequential like that, you think? Well, that's just they're given sequentially. But... Yeah, he, he, that's the way they, Jehovah gave them. So I don't know why he did it, but that's the way he did it. You know, um, there's some question we've got to save to ask him so that he's got something to talk about with us, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, even though they're given sequentially, they, they could all doesn't necessarily mean they're going to play out sequentially. Well, I would think you, well, you might be right. The trouble is, I've been recording this since 2005, and it's not exactly, it's, it's kind of actually happened the way I'm saying it is, which is yeah, yeah. Scary. You're, you're looking at, at history now and, and seeing that it kind of fits sequentially is what you're saying. Again, you're kind of I mean, 2005, so that's the middle of the second sabbatical cycle. Yeah. So you're looking time. back at the, the previous Sabbath cycle and you saw terror. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So it says in the verse uh, 16, I will also do this to you. I will even, oh, that's terror. That's uh, um, 18. Yeah. And after all this, if you will not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. So I was talking about sabbatical cycle. I will break the pride of your power and make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Again, so I'm in 2005. I'm looking at this. I said, what does that mean? It sounds like drought or sounds like severe weather. The, the crops are going to fail. Of the hottest years on record between 2003 and 2009, at that time, all of them were in that time period. Hmm. 2003, 2004, 2005, those are the hottest years on record. And, says, and we're getting droughts. And then in 2005, we had Hurricane Katrina, the most biggest devastating storm up until that date. And I, what is going on? Okay. So then I started to do some more research and I started to look at the next curse. Um, and then if you walk contrary, uh, no, that was 18, uh, verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring, uh, bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And I will send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock and make you few in number. And your highway shall be desolate. What does that mean? So I'm scanning the news. I'm looking for shark attacks. I'm looking for lions and tigers attacking. I'm looking for dogs attacking. And I'm thinking, okay, we got some dog attacks. We had a few in the news at that time, but it wasn't thousands. It wasn't hundreds of thousands. It was one. And I said, what does that mean? And then somebody told me, you know, that the World Health Organization was expecting a pandemic. I said, and that's when I, and so I, in 2008, I go on a speaking tour with the Prophecy Club and I'm, I show them in the Prophecy Club what I'm about to show you. These animals that Jehovah is going to send, micro, 
microcosm, little wee miniature bugs, viruses. So I started to do another experiment. I started looking back at pandemics and epidemics, and I wanted to see how many I could find in what I believe to be the, the 12 tribes of Israel, which is the tribes of Judah, plus the other 12 tribes or other 10 tribes, um, and just see if I could find pandemics in those countries. So I started to do that experiment in those tribes of Israel who had pandemics and epidemics. So in the yellow is uh, 1961 to 1975 was a pandemic. And I don't have my notes here. Actually, I do. I think it's the Troy. This pandemic lasted for, for two Sabbath cycles? It lasted for two Sabbath cycles, and it was the El, El Tor and cholera. El Tor and cholera from 1961 to 75 and in the 1960s. Okay? So then I go back to the, the cycle before that, and if you go there. Oh, whoops. Yep, that's it. So I didn't mark it out there. I didn't want to change all the colors. But yeah. in, in the orange, right, we have all a whole bunch of plagues during that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you've all heard of the Spanish flu. Sure. That happened right? in the third cycle. Yeah. It happened in the third cycle. Um, so from 1912 to 26, we had cholera and the avian flu. Mm -hmm. Right. That's why we go out to 2020 or 1926. In the cycle before that, we have, um, that's from 1863 through to uh, 1875, we have cholera epidemic. Hmm. Now I have the two and two red there for another reason. That's another uh, thing I was looking at. Um, I won't explain that just yet. You can get this, you can start learning these things. The jub uh, this Jubilee cycle before that, um, we have, Again, from 18, 18, uh, what have I got here? 1842. Yeah, but I, get, I don't have my note there. Well, from 1814 through to 1840, 1851. And I'm missing my note. I didn't, don't know why I've got that not on there. Hang on, maybe it's over here. Oh, typhus. Typhus and... Uh, yeah, typhus outbreak. Hmm. Okay. Um, 1814, 1828, we have uh, cholera. Okay, so 1765, the one below that, we have uh, influenza outbreak. Okay, so that's like our bird flu today. They're all starting um, on that first year of the cycle. They seem to be, there's a pattern there. And uh, 1716, the one before that, Again, influenza. And before that, it gets a little harder for records, but this gets into the plagues. And I start to record the plagues during that time, but not counting the plagues. So we won't count the plagues. We'll just count the ones that I have here on the page before. There's a pattern developing in the third and fourth sabbatical cycles for these plagues and pandemics. So I started publishing that, and it's in my book, The Prophecies of Abraham, and I'm showing you this. And in my video, first video I ever did on the Prophecy Club Tour, 2008, I explained this in detail, part two. Again, that's on my website. And I'm showing people this. And guess what happened in 2020? 
Yeah, of course, COVID. When was uh was swine flu breakout? Swine flu, swine flu started at the end of 2009, 2010. Yeah. yeah, so it started technically a little bit before, but really. Well, it started in 2009. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Just right Again. on the beginning of that third cycle, though. So there you go. Hmm. There you go. Okay, so there's something to look at and say. Hmm. hmm. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Right. So. Yeah. I got you. Not I got. God's got us scratching our heads. Pay attention. Look at this. Look what's going on. The fourth sabbatical cycle, he says, and we're going to go read it. Uh, Leviticus 26, verse, uh, verse 23. And if by things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I will punish you seven times more or seven times for your sin. Again, time, time and a half times, seven years. And so the, the other thing to remember here is these things are compounded. They're not sequential. They compound with the one before. So you're going to get terror for seven years. Then you're going to get terror and drought for seven years. Then you right. get terror, drought, and pestilence for seven years. And then pestilence in the next curse that we're about to read. So all these things are carried yeah. forward, each one. That's kind of like what I was saying. So they are happening simultaneously, but they're not rolled out simultaneously. They're yes. Every Sabbath year, you're essentially adding a curse. So verse 25, here's the next verse. And I will bring a sword against you and will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together in your cities, I will send pestilence among you. Okay, there's the pestilence. And you shall not, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Okay. When I have cut off, verse 26, when I have cut off your supply of bread, 10 women shall take your bread in one oven and they shall bring back your food or your bread by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied. Okay, that's the fourth curse. That's the fourth sabbatical cycle. That's when it's supposed to start. So I started telling people we are mm -hmm. going to be going to war at this time. We've already told them that the plague is coming, but we're going to be going to war. And, you know, I'm pushing, I'm emphasizing the war part more than I should have been. Maybe I should have been doing the plague part more, but I'm still, we're still going to war and we're st still coming. But verse 27 is the start of the fifth curse, the fifth sabbatical cycle. And yeah. after all this, if you're not obeying me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I will, I, Jehovah, I, will chastise you seven times for your sins and you shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters and I will destroy your high place and cut down your incense altars and cast your carcasses and on the lifeless forms of your idols. Okay, now God's ticked off big time. Yeah. We're going to be eating our own children. That means famine. So what do you have happening right now in the world? Famine's increasing. The World Health Organization last year was saying there's going to be 240 million on famine this year. They've reduced that down to 130, I think it is, as of October, the last date I got from them, 130 million. Our food chains are, are interrupted. There's another prophecy about um, uh, in Isaiah talking about Damascus. When you see Damascus as a heap of ruins, then know that Ephraim will become lean. Well, if you just look at, don't just take the city of Damascus, but take all of Syria. All of Syria now is just all in ruins everywhere. 
And since then, that's at the end of ISIS. Since then, our supply chains are getting disrupted now, our food supplies. I don't know about you, but when I go to the grocery store now, in my own grocery store, there are empty shelves. I've never seen empty shelves. Yeah. We, we have been so blessed as a people for so long. We take it for granted that the food just grows on the shelves. Right? We don't realize... Joseph that, uh, that famine started in that fifth cycle as well, right? That famine started in the... Uh, would, would be, it would line up to our year of 2026. Yeah, yeah. Fifth cycle, yeah. Yeah. But Joseph... But here's the other thing. Joseph is talking about Egypt. Egypt is representative of Babylon. So this blessing and cursing is going to come on Babylon itself, according to Joseph. So that's where his prophecy sort of applies, right? But all these things culminate at the end in 2033 or 2020, 2034. When you put them all together, overlap them, compare them to our Jubilee cycle now. Right. Okay. So that's what I started to teach. Now, I got, when January 2020 came around, I got hounded big time by people saying, well, where's the war? Where's the war? Where's the war? And sure. it wasn't, you know, it, January 2020 wasn't Aviv. Aviv 2020 is still in March. In March, I got more people hounding me. The fact that I'm telling people they're going to eat their sons and daughters, people get upset and they leave. That's so grotesque, they leave. Right. They don't want to know that. Um, they don't want to hear the gloom and doom. I didn't pick this message to be famous. I didn't pick this message to, to get a ministry. I didn't want to teach religion. I, you know, I still hate religion. I hate religious people. I wanted to share what I was learning. And I wanted to tell people what I was learning. Um, I couldn't believe what I was learning. I tried to give this message to all the other teachers I knew at the time, messianic teachers. And they didn't want to touch it. They didn't want to do, have anything to do with it. Yeah, of course. And eventually, I realized that this was my message. And when I realized that and began to present it, um, more revelations started happening. Now, you've got an older version there. What happened, uh, so after the prophets of Abram, people couldn't understand it. Again, I didn't figure I was qualified. I figured anyone else was smarter than me. They couldn't understand the process of Abraham. It got nominated for a Nobel Prize. I had to go back and rewrite uh, everything I did in the process of Abraham and explain how to figure out the style of Jubilee years, which I did in remembering the sabbatical year of 2016. And I wrote it so that even my mother, who's 83 now, 80, yeah, 83 now, could understand it, and she doesn't believe anything. So I wrote it very simply so anyone could understand it. And it's in that book. Again, you can get that on my website. Excuse me. But at the same time, immediately after that book, um, I wrote a book called The, the Blood Moons, The Elephant in the Room, explaining the, what, the, um, what the blood moons were actually showing us. Because the ones anyone was talking about back then was after, after all these events they were claiming they represented. Well, if a blood moon is going to be a warning, it has to be before. So with this calendar and with the crescent moon and the barley being Aviv as the, the calendar, I was able to take the, the blood moons from Nassau and show them all the way back to 
the time of Adam, when Adam died, that there were blood moons before Adam, there were blood moons before, before he died, there were blood moons before each of the patriarchs before they died, because I have the dates when they died. There were blood moons before the Exodus. There's a blood moon on the day Yeshua was killed. There's a blood moon before uh, Israel fell in 723. There are blood moons before uh, Judah fell in 586. Not just like a blood moon, but four in a row or six in a row or sometimes seven and eight. Mm. Um, there's blood moon before World War One and World War Two, And the blood moons here in 2014 and 2015, there's also dark moons on 2016. And all these blood moons are on the high holy days of Passover and Sukkot, which is saying, pay attention to what's going on. So 2014, 2015, and 2016, a dark moon represents famine. A blood moon represents the sword. So there, those are, they're coming, and we got this curse, curse for the four sabbatical cycle. It's all lining up. Again, the pestilence didn't start till 2020. The source still hasn't started yet. Some people are saying, and I kind of believe that with the elections in the United States and the divisiveness of um, the Democrats and Republicans because of President Trump starting at the uh, elections in 2020, they're still simmering now. Um, there's a lot of hatred on both sides. There used to be a time when the, in, America, in the United States when if a Democrat won or a Republican won, they came together and they worked together after that for the next four years and then got another president. But they don't do that anymore. They just mm. hate each other. And we have President Biden in there right now. I think he's a weak president. We have President Trump coming on again, possibly for the next election. Yeah. That, that could be a war. That could be a war. So anyway, that'll mm. happen in 20, uh, 20, what's it, 23? At the end of 23, the 24 is the next, he takes off sure, in January 6th. Yeah. Another so election. if you look on the dates here, these are lining up with stuff here. Mm. Yeah. So you're saying the divisiveness of, of another election in 2023. I and mean, that's, that's the end of the cycle. Um, so we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're holding off on war. It's, it's going to be coming. So there's really, some, I mean, that's not too long from now. There's mm. a couple more things. Don't, don't let me forget about the, well, I'm going to talk about the 70 weeks now. And then there's the, um, the uh, abomination. I want to just throw that out here so people can see this and start to think about it. Sure. Before um, you go, though, let me ask you, um, you've got tabernacles and you've got Yom Kippur that you laid out. Did you did you take a look at Rosh Hashanah and how it was laid out on the well? What, really, what you call Rosh Hashanah, I call the Feast of Tabernacles, and that's twenty twenty four. So I have twenty twenty four there in blue. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Okay. okay, we're gonna get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay, so when all the groups started shutting off, well, okay, let's back up. The 70 weeks, Daniel 9. Um, Daniel 9, everyone has always said that that's talking about Jesus. That proves that Jesus came in uh, 27 or died in 31 or 30 or 33 or 34. Depending on what your theology is, yeah. you take that and apply it to the 483 years and bring it back to uh, 
455, 453, four, whatever it is, they fudge the years as to when um, Cyrus or Ahasuerus or Xerxes, whichever one they want to use, is going to fit their theology. I, I just threw that all out and I said, well, what does that mean? Let's go back and look at it. Daniel says, and can we, you want to go there? Daniel 9? Sure, yeah. Let me, I'll stop the share for now since you're kind yeah. of going in a different direction. Um, yeah, so you don't think, you do not think the 70-week prophecy given to Daniel is about Yeshua? No. So Daniel 9, verse 24. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. So first of all, the 70 weeks, it's uh, Shibuyim, Shibuyim. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it's the word weeks here, when you look it up, is the same word uh, that Daniel uses in other places to describe the Feast of Weeks. And it's the same word that this, everywhere that is used, it means the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is the Feast of 49 is Daniel was told to seal the book, seal it till the time of the end. Here we so are. These are seven-year periods. These are 49-year periods. These are, these seven, are 70, seven cycles. Yeah. 70 times 49. This book is sealed to the end. Here we are at the end. Is this the proper understanding? How do you prove if what I'm saying is true? Again, I don't believe anything I say, let alone anyone else. I have to be able to prove it a number of different ways. 70 jubilee cycles are determined for your people. So I had to know who your people were. So in the book, The 2300 Days of Hell, I go into exorbitant detail and I explain who those people are. And I start like I just explained you with the Behistun Rock and take that down through history. And then from the verse, uh, verse 25, know there, because all these things that list in verse 24 haven't finished yet. If Jesus is the one this is talking about, we still got sin. We still got all these things going on. He didn't end those things. Yeah. Verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. When did Yeshua or Jesus ever restore and build Jerusalem? Well, he was a carpenter. <laughs> oh, he was not. He didn't restore yeah. and build anything in Jerusalem. Yeah. Well, the... Um, the latest video about him shows him making a table for Mary. So maybe he did build a table. I don't know. But um, he wasn't a carpenter. He didn't do nothing. So it doesn't fit him. The word Messiah here is Mashiach in Hebrew. It means anointed one. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the prince. My Messiah is not a prince. My Messiah is a king. He's the king of kings. He's the king of the universe. He's, he's not a prince. Yeah. There shall be seven weeks. So here's where this prophecy that everyone uses today falls apart. There shall be seven weeks, and there shall be 62 weeks. No, they say there's 483 days. No, it's not. It's seven weeks, or it's seven jubilee cycles, which is what I'm saying. Let's prove this. Yeah, you're saying most prophecy teachers, they take the seven and the 62, and they just... They make it Jam them together, or or some of them take the sixty-two and then they add the seven on to the end, and say sure. it's the last seven years or the last seven years to play. So can yeah. you pull up my charts again? And I want to go back to uh, the Exodus. I'm going to show you something. How yeah, do you that, prove this? This is how you prove it by having these charts. 
So you're going to go back down to the Exodus, which is uh, year 50. Go up one more. There you go. 50 Jubilee cycles have now taken place. Yeah. The Exodus is 1379 BC. Okay, now people are going to disagree. They're going to say 1250 or 1450. Okay, prove it. I can prove it. The Exodus takes place in 1379 BC. 1377 BC, they leave Israel. I mean, they leave Mount Sinai and start to go towards the Promised Land or in the prom or wandering for 40 years. In 1337 BC, that's when they cross over and entered the Promised Land. Again, on the right hand side, that's 2,500 years after the creation of Adam. We explain how to connect these two in the uh, remembering the Spout year 2016. And I see we're running out of time here, so I'm trying to speed up a little bit. Yeah. Um, so now, 70 weeks, okay, 70 jubilee cycles from the going forth of the command in Exodus 3 and in Exodus 4, a total of seven times, Jehovah tells Moses, go and get my people. Go and get my people. Moses comes up, I can't talk, I stutter, I'm scared. I don't want to. God keeps saying, go and get my people. Seven times. That takes place somewhere between 1386 BC and 1383 BC. Because the plagues before, uh, before the Exodus are approximately two to three years. Yeah. Okay. Now that's another discussion for another day. So it says in Daniel 9, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command, that's the burning bush, to restore and build Jerusalem, because Yeshua didn't do that, until Messiah the Prince. Who's Messiah the Prince? Let's count seven Jubilee cycles. So 50 to 51 is one. 50 to 52. You see the Jubilee cycles listed in the middle. 50 to 52 is two. Go up. Next screen. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. After seven Jubilee cycles, Brings you to this one here. And on 1040 BC, King David was born. 1040, I don't know, say 1043 or 1033, because we don't know exactly when. Samuel anoints King David and makes him king over Israel. Mashiach, he's Mashiach. In 1010 BC, King David is anointed Mashiach by Judah. In 1003 BC, all of Israel, Mashiach's King David, and makes him king. That's after seven Jubilee cycles. And King David restored. He captured Jerusalem. He restored the walls. He restored the, the moat, the, the, um, the Acre, and the ramparts. King David did that. He fulfilled this prophecy. Hmm. Yeah, so people are probably asking, and I've heard you answer this before. In order to restore, I mean, we we had to have we have to have a Jerusalem in the first place in order to restore it, right? Yeah. And so you know, most people are, are looking at um, you know destruction uh, at the Babylonian exile and then it being restored with um, the second temple. Yeah. Some people apply that to like Hezekiah being the, being the prince. Um, yeah. So I guess to answer the question, I, for me to ask the question. Where where was this Jerusalem before before David? Yep. 
So in Abraham's day, Abram meets Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Salem is the Jeru, means city in Canaan. In the Canaanite language, mm. Jeru is city. And Salem Jerusalem. means wow. Jerusalem. Melchizedek yeah. is the king of Jerusalem. He meets Abraham. Mm. They have now found the altar in the city of David that they believe was the one where Melchizedek made these offerings on. Mm. Wow. Now, Melchizedek is another name for Shem. And Shem, uh, Abraham was taught by Noah and Shem uh, when Nimrod was trying to kill him. Mm. And that's another story. Yeah. So Melchizedek dies. Jerusalem falls into the uh, Jebusite hands and it goes into ruin. And it's held by the Jebusites when King David comes, or not King David, but David comes to attack it. Okay, so this is years after the Exodus. Moses didn't do this, David did. So it's a process of time. Now, when you count from 69, from the Exodus 69, it'll bring you up to our Jubilee cycle now. So if you want to go back up to our current Jubilee cycle, I'll read the rest of this curse or this blessing or prophecy, whatever you want to call it. So the 69th Jubilee year, it brings you to 1996. And after 62 weeks, that's 1996, Messiah another anointed shall be cut off but not for himself who's the messiah the messiah the anointed are the anointed people of israel the apple of his eye israel all 12 tribes are his anointed they will be cut off after the 69th um 69th jubilee of after 1996 uh and the people of prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary the end of it shall be with a flood, and till the end, war and desolations are determined. Until the end, the end will be 2033. Then, verse 27, then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who's he? Not God, not Jesus. This is Satan. The covenant made with many for one week began, we've determined, in 1992 with the United Nations Environmental Program. One week later, this is why we were saying the United States was going to sign out of the Paris Accord before even President Trump was going to run for election. This is why we also said that the United or Britain was going to get out of the common market before they even had Brexit. And now in 2020, the United States, President Trump signed off on the Paris Accord, which is another name for the United Nations Environmental Program or UNEP. And England got out in December 2020 of Brexit from the common market. Both those prophecies were foretold right here. In the middle of that final week. Hold on, let's back one, one second. You're saying this happened in 1992 is whenever the covenant was made? 72. 72, okay. 72. United so that's made, when the covenant was established and it was confirmed at a later date? Well, it, that's when they joined that covenant. They made a covenant that's an agreement between all these different parties. So the United Nations Environmental Program was signed on by 113 nations. And then over the next number of years that each of these, uh, like GOP 26 that they just had, each of those that they had, more countries would sign on until yeah. all of them had signed on uh, at the Paris Accord. The United uh, Kingdom joined the common market in 1973. Right? but they joined it, I think it was January 31st, 
1973, but that's still part of the, the year before because the year goes from Aviv to Aviv, which is March, April. So that's still part of the year before. So again, that's 49 years. And they got out in December, which is still part of the same 49 year block. Now, it says that they will okay. be. You're destroyed. saying here that the covenant was. Yep. Was, con was confirmed. That, that, that's the, the prophecy that Daniel's saying was in 1972, and then it was broken. 2020. In 2020. He shall okay. make a covenant with many for one week. Hmm. One 49 year period. Okay. And that. That being in the middle of that 69th week, isn't that, I guess. Hmm. Uh, hang on. So I guess in order to break it in the middle of the 70th week, it has to it has to be in the middle of the 69th, I guess, established. Verse 27, then you shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, there you go. In the middle of the week, you shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination, you shall shall be one who makes desolate. When's the middle of the week? 2020. Now, what happened in 2020? We got COVID. The day that I kept Passover on March 11th, 2020, who? United Nations um, World Health Organization declared a worldwide pandemic. The day I kept Passover. I cannot orchestrate that. I could not plan that, but it happened. At the end of the seven days of unleavened bread, um, which was March 17th, all these, well, North America was shutting down everything. The church was being shut down, churches, syn uh, synagogues, uh, congregations, restaurants, bars, everything was being shut down. People were all up in arms. My freedom is being taken away from me. Blah. It still it happened. Let me let me back up a second because now I'm I'm sort of confused because if if he signed the covenant in 1972 and he's supposed to break the covenant in the middle of it, wouldn't that be well? Let's no, hang on. You're reinterpreting it. Let's read what it says. And then he shall confirm the seventh week. Huh? He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. For one it's week. Not that they are going to sign it all on the day one. He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That's for one the United States environmental program. Yeah, so it doesn't necessarily have to be at the beginning of the 70th week, which is They all joined on. That's right. That. That's the Kyoto Accord, the uh, Agenda 21, the Rio Accord, the Rio Plus 20. Um, there's all kinds of different names that they call it. This And the final one that we have now is the Paris Accord. And we just had the COP26 to trying to salvage it. And that's the one that President Biden re-signed back on. Okay, confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, it doesn't say in the middle of the covenant, it says in the middle of the week. Right, middle of the week. I got you. That's what you're saying. Okay. 2020. I got you. And on the wing of abominations, okay, so, okay there's a clue there. On the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Okay, so now we shut down all these churches on, um, March 17th, 2020. They're still shut down. Some of them opened up, but they're, for the most part, even today, we're in shutdown, lockdown again now as this fourth wave starts to sweep North America. 
Now, in Daniel 9, uh, no, Daniel, uh, what's it, Daniel 11, Daniel 12, he talks about the abomination. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, do you know that verse offhand, Daniel 12, is it? What is it? I am terrible well, at verses. Both 9 and 12, I believe. No, no, uh, 12. Give me a verse in 12. I don't know it off. I really don't the know. The abomination will be set up. Anyway, the abomination is going to be set up. And from the time the abomination is set up is 1290 days. That right. abomination starting that count is from the time that the daily is taken away. Right? Yeah. What's the daily? So in Israel, there is a daily offering at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m., the morning and afternoon services. The, every day, those took place. 9 a.m. was when Jesus was nailed to the cross, and 3 p.m. is when he died. Same timing, same events. That's when we're supposed to do our prayers at 9 a.m. and, and uh, 3 p.m. That's the daily. That's the Minka offering. In 2020, the churches were shut down. Is that what that means when that offering is taken away? It's a bit of a stretch. But yeah. again, I'm looking. I'm trying to see if I can see things. Is that it? If that is correct, if that understand again, I'm not saying it is, but if that understanding is correct, from March 17th, when the daily was taken away by this this person, this angel, you count 1290 days. That brings you to sometime between, um, again, depending on on different things for the calendar, brings you to around the Feast of, uh, or the Day of Atonement in 2023. 1290 days. Is There's a leap year in there. So 1290 days brings you to that time period. Um, is the abomination going to be set up in on the Day of Atonement in 2023? There is. I, I'm looking for it. I'm not saying thus says the Lord. But I am looking for it. I am watching for it. We now have these giant billboards with moving heads and speaking that they've uh, just created that they're trying to put all around the world. We also have these little robotic statues now that are very lifelike, um, that are teaching people in, in uh, Buddhism how to pray and Catholicism. And it's, Catholicism is Santos and Buddha is it's month, monthus or something like that, that people are praying to, and they kneel down and pray to them. So if this statue is set up in the place it's not supposed to be set up, which would be a holy place in Jerusalem, then it could be the thing that's causing people to be killed because they can, a guy in the office can tell the machine what to say. Again, speculation. Right, yeah. So what I said, I wanted to cover those two things. There's more. There's a lot more. Um, so we've just put out another book in November this year called The Mystery of the Jewish Rapture. Uh, a lot of people believe in the rapture and other people don't. Um, but most people don't realize that this rapture discussion started back with Paul. It's, it was explained. It actually started back with Moses. Um, Paul touched on it. And so we put a book out on that to explain exactly when that is. 
Uh, you can get it at our site called The Mystery of the Jewish Rapture, 2033. So all these things are taking place. Now, I'm working on the current book right now called The Ten Days of Awe. Again, on the chart here, you'll see that there's from 2033 to 2024, those 10 yeah. years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in the holy days, they represent the 10 days of awe. Those are the 10 days when you go into more uh, repentance or mourning or regret, deep humility and asking for your name to be found in the book of life. May your name be found in the book of life, Samuel. And that's what the greeting that we say to each other at that time. I have in blue here the 2030. 2030 mm -hmm. represents the Shabbat Shuvah during the 10 days of awe. Shabbat Shuvah, the half Torah portion, the half Torah reading on that day is uh, return, O Israel. Uh, this is uh, Joel. Return, O Israel, return and bring the Torah scrolls with you. Return. It's the Shabbat of return. We're coming back to God. We're coming back to his way. We're obeying him. We're, we're repenting from not obeying him. So from 2024 to 2033, that's what that represents. But it didn't make sense to me because the Feast of Trumpets represents the day when Jesus is supposed to come back. So if the Feast of Trumpets is the day that Jesus come back, 2024 represents the Feast of Trumpets. Is he coming back on the is he coming back on that day in 2024? It seemed very early, too early for me. Um, again, I don't know. But this fall, again, around the Feast of Trumpets this year in 2021, um, I started to ask a question. What do the plagues of Egypt, because he says, I'm going to send the plagues of Egypt on you in the last days. So I was looking at that in relation to COVID. Where's COVID in the 10 plagues of Egypt? So I went back and examined all the plagues of Egypt, and he's taking out each of the things that they were worshiping at the time. And when I compare those same plagues to today, I can see them happening already. When I compare those same plagues to the book of Revelation, the seven bowls, the seven plagues, the seven vials, the seven trumpets, I'm going... Oh my, I can't believe what I'm seeing. We, we read history and we, you know, we cover a thousand years like that in one page, one paragraph. We don't realize that so many lives had to live out those days and those events took place over time. These curses in Revelation are going to take place between 2024 and 2033. 20, uh, in 2020, if that countdown is right, because it also says from the time um, and the, the the from the time that the the Minka or I'm getting my prophecy mixed up here, and I apologize for that. But from the time this is Daniel eight, from the time that you start the um, the daily is taken away is 2,300 mornings and evenings. Yeah. Well. From March of 2020, that brings you to uh, approximately the Day of Atonement or the <clears> Day of Trumpets in 2026. <clears throat> 2026 is when I believe the two witnesses will be on the scene and cursing, placing these curses on the world. 
2030, Shabbat Shuvah, the two witnesses are killed at Passover after bringing the rest of the, the, the remnant of the 12 tribes back to Israel. And they are offered as a wave offering at that time. Two witnesses are killed. The, the remnant of Israel then flees into the wilderness where it says in Isaiah um, to hide them as a shadow in the night. They go into Moab or Jordan and are hidden there for the remaining three and a half year tribulation. So that's the book I'm working on now. I'm mm. not quite halfway through it. I'm hoping to have that done here in another couple months and out the door um, after mm. that. But we are coming into some very, very scary times. And to understand these things. The other thing is um, to understand these things is terrifying, which is what these Jubilee cycles give you that insight and understanding about. But most people are looking for the rapture but nobody's yeah. looking for the two witnesses. Those two witnesses have to be doing something and you have to recognize them by what they're doing. A lot of people won't like them. <laughs> A lot of people won't like them. But what are they going, you know, uh, Jesus said that they're going to be restoring all things. Restoring all things. So what are the things they have to restore? The things that have been lost. What's been lost? The Sabbath. The holy days, the jubilee years, the proper calendar, the barley and the crescent moon, the name, the name of Jehovah. We're supposed to call on the name of Jehovah and he'll protect us. Call on God. Which God? The God of Egypt, the God of Babylon. Which God? Call on the God named Jehovah. Call on him by specifically by his name. So these two witnesses will be on the world scene, but they're going to have a ministry. They're going to be known. They, they, they're not going to just be anybody's, I believe. So they're going to be doing something starting in 2026 to 2030. In fact, in Daniel 8, it talks about those two witnesses and says, one says to the other, how long? That tells you that one knows the chronology and one doesn't. Hmm. So... You know, there's all these things that you learn by doing the Jubilee cycles. So Samuel, if you are starting to learn these Jubilee cycles and you are starting to know them and you're obeying God, you qualify to be one of those two witnesses. Hmm. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, I, I see the logic, though. I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask about, about rapture, though, because a lot of people see Feast of Trumpets as well, some people see that as a connection with the rapture, which you've okay. got. I mean, I, I know you said you, you've written on it. Um, you've got that at, at 2024. Um, what do you think? I mean, well, I don't, there, I don't think that, I don't think the rapture is going to be in 2024. Okay. So that would be the feast of trumpets. That's what you're trying to connect there. I, I understand what you're saying and what you're thinking, but I'm going to say, no, I just strongly disagree with that. So first of all, I do not believe the rapture is going to take place on the Feast of Trumpets. So people say the Feast of Trumpets, and they do that because the last trump. And that's their, that's their reasoning for saying, well, it's got to be the Feast of Trumpets. That's when the trumpets are. If you're going to use that type of reasoning, then the last trump, then I'll say, well, what about Donald Trump? When he dies, that could be the rapture. That's the last trump. Oh, but he's got two sons. Okay. You see, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So let's go back to uh, Exodus 19 
and read the arrival of God on Pentecost. There are trumpets blasting and they're getting louder and louder and louder. And the people are so scared that they soil themselves. Read the Hebrew. They soil themselves. They're so scared. The mountain is shaking. There's smoke coming down and there's trumpet blasts. That's the Feast of Trumpets. I mean, I'm at the Feast of Pentecost, the day of uh, Shavuot. Yeah. Right? Okay. That doesn't prove anything yet. No, it doesn't. Until you go back to, and we'll go back and read it. I'll go to John. There are two days, two holy days that the Jews do not understand. One is the Feast of Trumpets, and the other one is the Feast or the Eighth Day Feast. They just don't understand what they mean, but they've kind of got some ideas, but they're not 100% sure because they're just not told. Um, actually, not John. I want to go to Matthew. I'm sorry, Matthew 28. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard Shavuot as well, Pentecost, that, that also. Okay, but how do you prove it? Again, again, I got to prove everything. I got to, I don't, yeah, it doesn't sound, that sounds good. Okay, I'll, no, I got to prove it. Okay, all right, let's hear it. So Matthew 20, uh, yeah, 27, not 28, my, my bad, Matthew 27. And we're going to start in verse 50. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is Passover. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then behold, <clears throat> the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Here's the, here's the key verse. And the graves were opened. Okay, the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Mm. They were raised. This is on the day he died, they were raised. They would not come back to life yet. They were just raised up. What is this symbolic of? During the days of unleavened bread, there is a feast day called, or not a feast day, a special day called wave sheaf day. On wave sheaf day, you're to bring the first fruits of the barley. That's why we look for barley every year. We got to have the very first fruits to do this wave offering. If we don't have first fruits, then we postpone it a month. But we got to have the first fruits. So we bring the first fruits on Wave Day to present them to God. Now, this ceremony starts before Sabbath. On Friday, they go out and they mark the barley and they put a big cord around it so that the high priest, when he comes out, knows which barley is ripe and knows which one's to harvest. After the Sabbath, Saturday night, so it's now <clears throat> at sunset begins the next first day of the week, right? So after Sabbath, at sunset begins the first day of the week. So the high priest goes out there has, and he says three times, as a, as a sunset, and everyone says yes. It's a big party. And then he says, is this the wheat or the barley that I'm to cut? He says yes. The crowd all responds, and they do it three times. And then he says, is this the basket I'm to put the wheat in? He says, yes. Is this the sickle I'm to cut the barley? He says, yes. Shall I cut the barley? And the crowd says, for crying out loud, just cut it. Get, get it over with. Cut it. And they cut the barley, and he puts it in the basket, and he takes it up to the temple. Overnight, the barley, if it's in a dough stage, will get hard. If it's in a hard stage, it will set harder. And the heads will open up and then they can rub the heads and the barley seeds fall out. And they take those barley seeds and they prepare them. They grind them up. This is Leviticus 2 now. 
They grind the barley seeds up and make a coarse flour. They add frankincense, and I believe they add salt, but for sure they add oil. The salt, I still have to check that. Okay, so that takes place on Sunday morning. And then they wave it at 9 a.m. Okay, why do we do this? Again, come back to John or Matthew. And verse 52, and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised up. That's marking the barley. And counting uh, and coming out of the grave after the resurrection, so after he came out of the grave at the end of the Saturday, they went up into the temple. Who did? The saints came back to life. The saints. It doesn't say their names, but I'm speculating. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, um, Elijah, Enoch. They all came back to life at this time, and they walked into Jerusalem and were seen by many. This is them going in there overnight and prepared. Yeshua says to Mary, don't touch me when she finds it. It's still dark. So it's either late at night or early in the morning. It's still dark. Don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. And then that same day, he's walking on the road to Emmaus, talking to the apostles, and he has uh, a meal with them. He comes back, and he's talking to the apostles in the room. The same day, he's not, you know, he doesn't say, don't touch me, but to Mary, he did. That's because after 9 a.m., he came back, and he's seen for, what, 40 days? That's the wave offering when the saints first come out of the grave and are brought into Jerusalem. They, that's what the barley represents. What does he say we are? We are the wheat. We are the wheat. And some of the wheat, you know, it dies because of the, it's too close to the road. It gets strangled with thorns and thistles, the ways of this world. But the good stuff and good ground, it grows and becomes a hundredfold. That's what you and I are. We're to be the wheat. The wheat is what's harvested at Shavuot. It's the next first fruits offering. Mm. This is why we need to pay attention to Leviticus 23 and keep these holy days and not just read about them as some history thing, but do them because they are real. The wave offering of Shavuot, the first fruits offering of Shavuot, will be everyone since Yeshua came out of the grave. All the apostles, all those who obeyed him since then and have already died. And Paul says in uh, what is it, Thessalonians, those of us who are alive at that time will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Let me ask you this. Could it be that, that the first fruits, I mean, we know before the rapture, the dead, uh, the dead in Christ shall, shall rise first. Yeah. Could it be there, there's a gap between that period. Even at um, you know, the, in the Mount Sinai event, weren't, weren't, wasn't, I mean, we had Moses, Aaron, and the Levites, right, that were, that were at the bottom of the mountain? Well, Moses, Moses and all of Israel at the bottom of the mountain. Yeah, but, but, but weren't, there was a select group that was allowed to, to go to the, the foot of the mountain, right? No, there were 70 or elders that went up and had the meal with them on top of the mountain. Yeah, so could, so could that be the same pattern playing out of the dead, shall cry, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we see at a later date, right, the, the rapture event? Like, could there, could there be first fruits, dead in Christ rise, and then... The rapture ha happening at uh, Pentecost? Okay, if that's your theory, then can you prove it? But right now you're just sort of speculating and guessing. So sure, let me yeah, answer I your mean... question. So if Paul says 
uh, the dead in Christ rise first. Yes, they rise up first. But he also said in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed and we will rise with them and meet them in the clouds. Hmm. Okay, I got you. Okay, so it's, I believe that takes place on um, Shavuot, the second wave offering. That's when that takes place. And, we, you know, what year? Because it says in the, about the 144,000 that they're going to go through the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, they will follow the Messiah wherever he goes. So those 144 come up at the end of the uh, tribulation, which is in 2033. So Shavuot, 2033. Now, again, all the details to this, what I'm saying, get the book, The Mystery of the uh, Jewish Rapture, 2033. It's in there. Okay. One other thing. King David is going to be raised up at that time. And King David will read a lead and be our king throughout the millennium. Yeah, I forgot that that was your understanding. So we got five scriptures. And I can't remember Ezekiel, Hosea. I forgot the other ones right now, but they're in, in the 2300 Days of Hell book. We explained that as well in one of the chapters as well. Yeah. So hmm. have you got a headache yet? No, because like I said, I, I've heard you speak on this before. I, I forgot about that. Um, a lot of people, you know, when they see David on the throne, they they apply that to, to Jesus. But the scriptures do say David. So um, you, you're taking that at face value, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we do in Christianity, which when you actually look at it, aren't quite right. And that alienates the Jews. There's a bunch of things that Jews don't understand because like, you know, the Feast of Trumpets, the day of the eighth day, they don't. But when we combine the faith together and we understand that Jehovah, because they say the Shema, Shema Israel, um, Jehovah Eloheinu, Jehovah Echad, there's only one God. When you understand that that one God, as we just explained in Leviticus 16, is the one who died on the cross and that that one God is calls himself, I am your salvation, I am your Yeshua, Hmm. all of a sudden you start saying okay well we got the same faith we just got some things we got to readjust on either side yeah and absolutely. then because okay so it also says in um, ezekiel that the two sticks the house of judah and the house of ephraim they're going to stop fighting and they're going to be joined together and be one stick yeah that cannot happen when we got two and three gods because Judah only believes in one God, Jehovah. They won't even say his name. So when we understand that our Messiah is Jehovah, yeah. and he didn't send somebody in place, then Jehovah Eloheinu, Jehovah Echad, I am your Jehovah, I am your Yeshua. And now there's other scriptures there that you know I don't, I can't answer all of them. They're, they're difficult to answer. Yes. But if we're going to unite the two houses together, we got to understand some of these things. So you yeah. got to understand the holy days to understand prophecy. You got to be doing the holy days to understand when these events take place. And even these little minor details, like, you know, the barley, the, what, what's that about? These are big deals. The wheat, yeah. the wave offering, these are big deals. Daniel 70 week, the, the prophecy. So I'm, you know, that was one of those things when I heard your interpretation is very different, but I've never been completely satisfied with anyone's interpretation of Daniel's 70 week. So 
Uh, I'm with you with, with, with a lot of those things having not been fulfilled, you know, bringing everlasting righteousness. Um, and then I'm with you with, with the King David being the anointed one that we see. And I, I love that, that there's some very clear seven sevens um, between the burning bush and the birth of King David. So I love that. Um, and then you explain how Jerusalem was rebuilt. What I didn't understand, um, verse 26, this is after the 62 weeks, the anointed one, which if I'm following from verse 25, that would be King David. It says the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. And then the people of the ruler, uh, the the people of the ruler will come uh, and will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So for, you know, this seems to fit, you know, the, Jesus seems to fit, fit the bill there. You know, I think that's why it seems yep. to be a, a strong connection there. So help me understand um, with, with this, with this uh, interpretation of the 70 weeks, who, who is the anointed one if it's not King David? And then, you know, who, how are they put to death and having nothing? So verse 26. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. So, okay, so is that, what that means? Is he going to die again? No. Is, well, if it's King David, is King David going to die again? No. We've, we've automatically assumed that this Messiah is Yeshua, or now that you've heard what I've said, that you're assuming that King David is the now Messiah. King David is the Messiah spoken of in verse 25. The Mashiach, or the anointed, is uh, in verse 26, is Israel. All of Israel. All of Israel is the apple of his eye. All of Israel is the anointed. And the exact scripture tells you that Israel is the anointed. I cannot think of off the top of my head, but you can find it because I did find it. Um, and I don't even know where to look for that. I do know that it's in the book, The 2300 Days of Hell. So it's all of Israel. Yeah. All okay. the end time prophecy concerning Israel, which we talked about before. The Anglo-Saxons, the Celtic peoples, the descendants of uh, the Sumerians. Those people will be cut off, and but not for himself. So when you look up the Hebrew for not for himself, it means... They will be as if they never were. So just pause and stop and think what that means. Israel, the most powerful nations on earth right now, are going to be cut off and be as if they never were. It's almost like you're living in the time of Moses and trying to imagine Egypt being destroyed. It's the most powerful nation on earth. That's impossible. And yet, and one day they're gone. Yeah, so that really leads into the next, the, the continuation with the people of the ruler will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. Uh, the end will come like a flood. And so that's okay. yet to be fulfilled. That's so this right. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The word sanctuary, when you look it up in Hebrew, can also mean saints. So the interpreter has said sanctuary, but the word can also mean saints. So the city and the saints will be destroyed. When you go to Daniel 8, um, 
Daniel 8, it's the saints that are going to be destroyed. When you go to Isaiah, it's the saints that are going to be destroyed. When you change that word to this proper translation, now some people will disagree with me. They say, well, it's supposed to be sanctuary. Okay, so other people say, well, um, you're not allowed to change any scriptures in there. All your English virgins, virgins, all your English versions are translations of the Hebrew by somebody trying to make the Hebrew into a language that you can understand. If you go back to the Hebrew, a lot of the Hebrew words got two, three different meanings, depending on the context. Yeah. So that's what you have to do here. The context doesn't fit with sanctuary. The context fits much better with saints. The saints will be destroyed. Those saints are the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are human beings, people like you and I. And so you see that, you see that coinciding with the, like a future Armageddon? Or? Well, I believe it's my position. <clears throat> Israel is going to be taken out. This is going to take place before Armageddon. So if you look at the chart that I have up there for the last Jubilee cycle, between today is 2022, or January 2022, and 2045 is 23 years. You've got 23 years for all end-time prophecy to be fulfilled. Sometime in that period, it's got to be fulfilled because the seventh millennium is for sure 2045. So if all prophecy must be fulfilled within these last 23 years, then you pick that slot for the tribulation. You pick that slot for the two witnesses. You pick that slot for the um, 2300 days and put them in there and see where they fit. I believe they started already and we're going to uh, finish it at 2033. If you believe something different, okay, then you pick the year, but there's three and a half years tribulation. There's three and a half years for the two witnesses. And then there's 2,300 days before them, I believe. Now, some people overlap them, put them together. Okay. My message is we are at the end. And it's time to start looking and paying real close attention because it's, it's there. We're here. So you want to disagree about a year or two or three? And I'm not saying you, I'm saying you in general. But yeah, you can yeah. do that. But we're there. Now, I know that my, my teachings on Daniel 9 are different than most. I know that no one else is teaching about the sabbatical and Jubilee years. We're the only ministry doing, doing so. We're also the only ministry that's teaching um, that was calling for 2020. We've been calling for 2020 since 2005. And lo and behold, something happened in 2020. I don't know what it is. Uh, I can't figure that out yet. All right. But something happened. We're now looking at 2024. We're suspe uh, suspicious of 2023 and the abomination. We're looking at 2024 as the start of the curses of Revelation. I really don't want to be right. I, you know, I don't. Um, but I also want to be in the seventh millennium. And that's coming. So 23 years from now, however old you are now, 23 years from now, the seventh millennium will be here. 
all this stuff, all this bad end time prophecy, all this doom and gloom stuff has to take place at some point during that time. You can mm -hmm. either be on the right side or you can be on the wrong side. Yeah, so you can say Israel essentially will exist no more. Well, hang um, on. That's, now, don't, when you say Israel, do not think of the state of Israel. Yeah. Think of all 12 tribes. Yeah. The name Israel was passed down to the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh. The title Israel, the the Judah received the scepter, but Israel received that birthright blessing. So the state of Israel has taken that name, but it doesn't really belong to them. It belongs to all 12 tribes, of which Ephraim and Manasseh are the dominant ones. And that works out to be the United Kingdom and the United States. So look for the United States and the United Kingdom to be destroyed. Would that reinterpretation of the city? Because it says it will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So you're saying sanctuary can also be interpreted as saints. What about yep. city? City, um, I have. I didn't look that up. Um, it could be Jerusalem. It could be, I don't know. I have to look it up to see if there is another meaning for it. I did not do that. Have you got your strongs right there? No, I don't. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to follow your logic through. I mean, yep. if 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 the ruler is going to destroy the saints it's this it seems to be the saints seem to be coupled with a city which why the traditional view seems to you know fit yeah okay i understand um well i can let me see but and so i mean by, by this by this view you're you're essentially saying that this is going to be a gradual judgment of god's people until he returns because no, I'm not like God's gradually. people need to be here when He returns. So when they're going to cease to exist, what is that? Well, the 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 nation. There's going to be a remnant. There will always be a remnant. There's going to be ten percent left over. I'm just looking up that word "city" here right now. Before we just move off of that, a city, a place guarded by a walking, by by waking or by watch, in the widest sense, even in a mere encampment or post. Um, AI from margin, city, court, town. Okay, so an encampment. There is a little room to go bigger than a city. Um, anguish, excitement, town. So there's another definition. Browns River Briggs, excitement or anguish of terror. Well, that's a little bit different. City, city, cities, town, towns, AI, court. Okay, so if I go to the Paleo-Hebrew, um, and the word for city is, oh, what's that? Zadi? Zadi Uresh? Hebrew, Aramaic, enemy. Enemy. Pictograph, put a rope, entwined, extended meaning of darkness. Okay, so it's... um. There might be room in there for a different interpretation, and I'd have to yeah. think of that some more. But let the, me ask, I have a follow-up to that as well, because, okay. you know, when I was looking at what you were teaching with the 120th, I mean, really, essentially, this interpretation of Daniel's 70th week, um, it, your interpretation of the, the Jubilees is really not dependent upon that. I mean, as far as the patterns that you, you already went over, 
and us being in the 120th and, and us about to be in that seventh millennium, we essentially could still hold to a traditional view of Daniel's 70th week. And it's really not in conflict with, with what you're, with, with, I guess, that the timeline. Am I, am I correct you, in saying that? If we take Daniel's 70 weeks out and throw it out the window and just focus on the Jubilee cycles, it's seventh millennium is still going to be 2045. Right. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying yeah. is that, is that you, you know, you can basically not accept that view and, and still accept the other. Um, Cause that, that I was just a little dicey on, on the seventies week. Like I said, I did love the fact I, I, I thought it was really, really interesting with, you know, like I said, with this, the seven sevens, because I've never been completely satisfied with one interpretation of Daniel 70 week. And, and that's a strength. I think of your view is we can clearly see that there's seven sevens between uh, the burning bush and, 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 and David, but. So let me, but yeah, let I just me, wanted to ask you that question just to let see. Let me ask um, you a question then about that same subject. And I'm asking your, your audience as well. If Daniel 70 weeks is about Yeshua, if that is true, if that's and and that interpretation is correct, then why did none of the apostles use it to prove that he was Yeshua? Yeah, I mean, why why didn't any why didn't Yeshua use it to prove that he was Yeshua? Okay, so yeah, from, some people say that that's a, a false argument, but just because it's not there doesn't mean they didn't. Okay, right. The first time that argument or that prophecy got used for the Messiah was by the uh, Maccabees. The next time it got used for the Messiah was by Simon Bar Kopa. The next group to use that, so Simon Bar Kopa, the Maccabees of 162 BC. So they're using that to justify their calling. Uh, Simon Bar Kopa was using it to justify him. Rabbi Yossi also, uh, who is a student of Rabbi Akiva, took the chronology from the first temple being destroyed and the second temple being destroyed, cut out the, the time for the Persians to make it fit, and said that with that chronology, this is proving that Simon Bar Kopa is the Messiah. They found out Simon Bar Kopa was not the Messiah, but that chronology stuck. And that's why we still have that false chronology today where they're missing <clears throat> the Persian period. Um, the next one to use it was the church fathers in 180. So after 133 with Simon Bar Kopa, then the church fathers started to use it in 180. Um, just name them all. They all used it. It was Julius Africanus who came up with the current theory that we now have today, where the 483 years and the three and a half missing years is going to come sometime in the future. Now he used it to say that at 500 AD, Messiah was going to come back. Others have used it for other different time periods, but that, that missing three and a half years is floating in space at some time. And so now we're out 2000 years and people are now saying, well, that 2,000 years is about to be fulfilled because he died in 30, or he died in 31, or he died in 33, or he died in 34. So he's going to come back in 30, 31, or 32, 33, 34, depending on your theology, in 20, 31, 32, 32, 34. Again, they're taking that gap theory and applying mm -hmm. these next three and a half years of the tribulation to that. So at some point, that three and a half years, that's all BS. It's all stupid. There's no gap theory. It's either one continuous prophecy or it's not. Yeah. So this three and a half, the, the gap theory destroys 
that Daniel 9 prophecy. But people accept it because they got nothing else to look at. What I'm presenting you here are you've got like you've already said the Daniel uh, the seven jubilee cycles first. That made perfect sense. It fit. It fit like a glove. Then the 69 brings you to 1996. Now you're wrestling with the 70 weeks and Israel being destroyed or all 12 tribes or the Mashiach, whoever that is, being destroyed again. And I understand that. It is something you have to wrestle with. But I don't have a gap theory. I have a continual line with no spaces, one to the other, and it fills in. And Yeshua never used this to justify who he was, nor did any of the apostles. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I was kind of, like I prefaced, I don't think your interpretation is perfect, but I don't think any interpretation is perfect. I've never heard an interpretation that I, that I felt like just really, really, really nailed it. So, um, so I, I, I put, I put yours in the same kind of boat. I would, everyone else's, uh, so honestly, me, you know, let me just say that I'm just a, ditch digger an ordinary guy um i believe jehovah's showing me these things but i've never never claimed thus says the lord i've never had any angel come and say this is what that means say yeah. this or that i'm just an ordinary an ordinary guy like you searching the scriptures trying to understand and that's what you're doing here you're trying to understand and okay this stuff that this joe dumont guy saying yeah that kind of makes sense but you're wrestling with what you've been taught. And until you get that out of your head, this won't go in. So there's a conflict between the two. And I understand that. But I'm not, um, I'm not a thus says the Lord guy. I'm searching sure. just like everyone else. Yeah. i tell you what I do like. I do like that the 70th week and the, the 120th you know, Jubilee cycle that they coincide. I mean, that does seem to make, that does seem perfect, to make sense that that 70th sense. week would be, you know, the, the final week leading up to uh, the millennium. So, um, you know, there's, if, there's a lot, there's a lot that I, do, I really do like about this interpretation. I'll say that much. If, if my understanding of who Israel is, and that would be the United States, United Kingdom, if Jehovah God does not, because does not do judgment on the United States, then he, Jehovah, must go back and apologize to all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I've heard that before. Right. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we our society today is bankrupt. It needs to be fixed or destroyed. And I think it's beyond fixing. It now must be destroyed. So yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people are on board there. The, the judgment is certainly, then, certainly okay. coming. If you're on board with that, then Israel will be as if they never were which is what the Hebrew is saying there. It's difficult to read, but that's what it's saying. The anointed will be as if they never were. That's the judgment that's coming. It's sobering for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, that, that, that brings some, some clarity. I just wanted to see what you had to say about the, uh, the, the anointed one. Um, I don't. I don't love that we have the anointed one. Is that a different word? The anointed one that we're seeing with David, and then the anointed one that we're saying um, is, is Israel in, in twenty six. It's 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 Mashiach. It's the Hebrew word is Mashiach. It's, in both places. Yep, yeah, and we've applied Mashiach to the Messiah. But 
all the kings of Israel were Mashiach. Mm, all yeah. the prophets who were anointed were Mashiach. Right? That means they were anointed. Yeah. Israel, all of Israel was anointed. Yeah. And, and, and so, I'm okay with that. I just don't love that it, it, the Mashiach is David in 25 and the Mashiach is Israel in 26. I don't love that. It's Mashiach the prince in 20, uh, yeah. 24, 25. Mashiach the yeah, prince. You know, the ruler. Yeah, depending on your and translation. Yeah. After 62 weeks, Mashiach, the anointed, will be cut off. So again, Daniel's writing this in such a way as to hide it. So it's sealed yeah. up until the end, right? Yeah. Again, so he's, you got to give him some room and you got to, okay, what does this mean if that means that, right? It's not black and white. It's, yeah. you got to think, how do all these prophecies fit together with this understanding? If it's, if it's, if it's Yeshua, if it's Jesus, what does it mean? He's going to die again? Is that after the 70 Jubilees? Is he going to die again? Like, it doesn't make sense. So either our current understanding is wrong or we have to go look at it. And what I've done is I've tried to go back to the original Hebrew words, see what they mean. This is a difficult phrase to understand and interpret. So what was the original? What did it mean? How does that fit in with the prophecy that you'll be destroyed in a single day or um, you're, you're going to be destroyed? Like Israel's going to be destroyed. It's said all over the place. Isaiah says it a lot. And when Isaiah was speaking, Israel was already gone. Hmm. They were gone 20, uh, what, 723, speaking in 701. Israel's already gone. So sure. the other prophets spoke after Israel was gone. Ezekiel talks about Israel. And Ezekiel is at the uh, captivity of 586. Yeah. So Israel's going to be destroyed, but they're already gone. What's he, he's talking about a future event. A uh, future event, yeah. Wow, okay. And I'm, all right, I'm, well, again, I'm not talking about just the state of Israel. I'm talking about all 12 Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, I'll put your site and, and uh, links. Uh, I'll probably just put the, the separate uh, link to that Um chart that we were looking at in, in the show notes um but uh yeah awesome man um i think we're, we're running out on time so um i'll, I'll invite you to, to close us out in, in well, prayer thank you and i you know I, we got this little slogan i we come i haven't put it out yet prove me wrong i'll shut up if you can prove me wrong i will shut up when you can prove me wrong so i challenge all your listeners to do that our Father Jehovah, our powerful, our great creator. You said, Father, you told your prophets that you will do nothing unless you first reveal your, your things that you're about to do to your prophets. I thank you for Samuel. I thank you for his show. I thank you, Father, for the ability to share this message with those who listen here. I ask you to bless this video and have it to go wide and far so that others will hear it and understand it. I ask you, Father, to open our eyes to understand the wondrous things inside your law. Open our eyes so we can understand you. This wedding that we want to be a part of, this wedding that we want to join, we have to be white. We have to be clean. But when those who come to the wedding don't have on the, the righteous robes of righteousness, 
the white robes of righteousness, you're going to throw them out. We have to be righteous, and that's keeping the commandments. So I ask you, Father, to help these people to understand that are watching this. Help them to watch the videos. It's not easy. We have been taken so far away from the truth. Help them to understand. Again, open our eyes to understand your wondrous laws. So I thank you, Father, for, for Samuel's show. I thank you, Father, for this opportunity. And I ask you to bless those who are listening. Bless them. Give them a real blessing of understanding. And open their eyes. So that they too can bring glory to the name of Jehovah wherever they go. Amen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you enjoyed. If you did, make sure to share this with somebody you know. Like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on your favorite podcasting app, leave us a rating and review. You can email me at the Christian Podcast at gmail.com. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.